0: Jim Shoemaker, Drew Johnson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor.
1: Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to the program. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, It doesn't seem to matter, it's a common concern, it's always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker, welcome to Talk Money. Well this morning I have three wonderful guests in the studios. We're going to dive into some some subjects that you've asked us about and subjects that are extremely important as we go into the summer months. The idea behind the market and what's happening with the market kind of settles down, a lot of vacations, a lot of traveling. So I've asked Drew Johnson this morning if he would help us understand buying bonds, misconceptions about what happens when you purchase a bond or you're managing your 401k and in the portfolio you have a asset that, you know, it's called a bond portfolio, a mutual fund or something like that, and it's all invested in bonds. Is it safe? That's going to be the question that I'm asking him. And Scott Jordan's here also, and he's going to help us put together A summer portfolio. Now, actually, it's going to last in the fall and the winter. The reality is we're going to try to help you understand how to structure your portfolio in in the idea behind what's going on in the media, what do we see and anticipate, and uh, some big questions that I think you're going to see that Scott's going to help us with. And in the final part of the program, Dane Williams is here. Would you believe how much lumber has gone up in the last 18 months Well, guess what? He's got a number for you, and here's the question. Have you insured your house? Have you looked at it to see if you've done that remodeling or you had the addition added last year during the pandemic? Have you taken the time to check it out? He's going to answer some questions for us that are extremely important when it comes to your property and casualty insurance. First up, well, Drew, I tell you, Guy, I'm excited about having you into the program. Welcome to the show, sir.
2: Thank you for having me on, Jim.
1: Well, let me ask you, Drew, so many people, I mean, whether we you know, we buy, it's amazing how many people, they end up when you say, how much is in your portfolio, what's it look like? And they say, well, I'm 50% stocks and 50% bonds. And uh, as you go in through the conversation, ultimately, they say, well, I'm in the safety side of bonds. You know, it's all safe. You know, that's going to protect me. And, and we do do that. I mean, there's a matter of risk off when we talk about bonds, but there's a misconception about that. So I want you to lean in, help us understand, first and foremost, the misconception that so many people have. I'm in a bond portfolio and I know it's safe. What would you say?
2: Well, I mean, I I think that's kind of a, a bit of a blanket statement that we can't really make about bonds. Uh you know, to say that something is safe, it means, you know, we think of it as, well, nothing can happen to it. And, Makes sense. And, I
1: buried it in a tin can in the backyard.
2: Exactly. Well, there's
1: something that can happen with that. I can forget where I put the tin can. Right. You can, tot- you can forget where you
2: put it. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But, uh, but, you know, if you think about what a bond is, I mean, a bond is just a contract for a loan, right? Uh, we all engage in, in borrowing money and lending money, and that's exactly what a bond is. Uh, it's a promise. Uh, it's a loan that an investor makes to a corporation uh, or to a government or to a federal agency uh, in exchange for interest payments over a specified time, uh, and at the end of that term, uh, they get the principal back, the original money that they, that they lent. And so both those interest payments as well as that final uh, payment of, of principal are both subject to uh, risk in the market over time.
1: So when you say risk, so I guess I guess let's talk about this. The word safe, you said that would be saying no risk. So it's free from harm, it's free from risk, it's secure and you're saying don't think of your bond even though it may be less risk from a bond than from a stock. Can I say that?
2: Uh it, you you could. I mean if you're if you're thinking about uh a company or a government bond that has, say, a, a, a very good credit rating, uh, you could say that, but if you're borrowing from or if you're lending to a company, rather, that doesn't have such a good credit rating, uh, in some cases, it could look a lot like investing in a All stock. right,
1: so let's, let me see if I can put this this way. If I loan you money, I am taking little or no risk. Is that right?
2: Oh, not at all. <laughs> so I'm it's still all, taking some risk yeah, you're still but you're I,
1: still, I, I trust you I think you're very solid I think you would pay me back in other words it's based on who you're loaning it to is what you're saying exactly okay, it's, it's I based get it. on their,
2: all, their their overall credit worthiness
1: the credit worthiness of the individual or the company so what we're looking for if I want safe quote unquote safe bonds I need to know the credit worthiness of that bond of that where I, where I'm loaning my money that's right. All right, that makes me. That gives me something helps me. lately kind of anchor to that. Government bonds would be safer than uh, an upstart bond company.
2: In, in general, or, yeah. If uh, you're talking about U.S. government bonds, U.S. government bonds. U.S. Yeah. Government, US bonds. government bonds. Okay. Yes, that's right. All right. right.
1: So we kind of defined that, and it's we have been kind of broad about it. We've talked about bonds being safe. So define for me interest payments and the principal payment. I mean, if I'm going to get interest because I've loaned the company money. That's the debt portion, the bond portion. Am I, when I get my principal back, I pretty much can know when that's going to happen.
2: Exactly. I mean, there, there's a set date where that bond effectively terminates and when you receive your principal back. Uh, the risk that you face, though, is that over the course of the time that you're receiving those interest payments, when you first bought that bond, that interest payment was based on certain assumptions about what economic growth would be, about what inflation would be, and if inflation ends up being higher or growth ends up being lower or some combination of the two, you could end up receiving back money that's worth less than what it was when you first bought the bond. Uh, And so you're actually getting a, a negative return even though you're actually receiving money from that bond payment.
1: All right, that gives me, you said in the negative, so help me understand, then why would I buy a bond? Why would I do that?
2: Uh, you would buy the bond because you would want the steadiness of the payments.
1: The steadiness of the interest payments. Of the steadiness of the interest okay, payments. that makes sense. So, So if I'm getting a bond, it's paying me 4%. I'm getting that on a regular basis.
2: You are paying for that contractual obligation on the part of the borrower to pay you those steady payments.
1: All right, that helps us. If you just tuned in, my guest is Drew Johnson. We're talking about kind of the misconception that a lot of people have, bonds are safe, and that's kind of the, a misconception. They're not always, like we would like to say, safe. There's no risk. There's risk in every investment that you make, and you need to understand that. So, I think so many people say, well, I've got 50% of my portfolio in bonds or 50% of my portfolio in stocks. And the reality is we don't want you to feel that that is a safe, per se, portfolio. There's risk in everything you invest in. But but I think, Drew, you are saying there's less risk if you're buying quality bonds.
2: That's right, if you're buying quality bonds. Now, the thing you have to keep in mind, though, is that You could put together a portfolio today, and and it could be a whole bunch of different high-quality companies issuing their bonds. Uh, But you could look at this same portfolio five years from now, ten years from now, and a company that was a good, solid company, that was profitable, that was bringing a lot of revenue, suddenly has had a reversal of its fortunes. Uh, The products or services that it was offering ten years ago – are no longer in demand or no longer in as much demand. And so now their creditworthiness doesn't look the same as it did uh, when you first bought the bond. And so it's not just a matter of knowing what you're buying when you're buying it. It's also knowing what you bought even months or, or even years after the fact.
1: You know, that's so important. You're talking about a bankruptcy of the company that you bought. You're talking about being the company that you bought being sold. And so what you're saying, then, if you're going to do that and you're just buying a bond, just using that singular, a bond, you need to be very comfortable with that bond and know, and, and check it out on regulations. Now, what if you're using a mutual fund manager? They're buying a lot of bonds.
2: Oh, if you're do- using a mutual fund manager, they could be buying bond issues from hundreds or possibly even thousands of companies or even government bonds or, and, and other kinds of debt as well. Where they have a whole team of professional analysts that all they do is eat, sleep, and breathe, researching all of these companies and keeping up with what their credit ratings are looking like what the what the companies do, what their cash flows look like, making sure that what those that those companies' operations can support continuing to make those interest payments to their investors that's a
1: great comment uh, drew when we come back we 're going to take a break when we come back, I think a lot of people misunderstand the difference between a yield payment and an interest payment. And I really would like for you to help our listeners understand yield and interest. I like the fact that you said not all bonds are safe. I like the fact that you need to be looking at what you're buying and try to buy the best. But let a mutual fund company manager pick what you're thinking about. That's a great point. If you just tuned in, uh, we're talking with Drew Johnson. When we come back, we'll find out some additional things that you need to know about about putting together a bond portfolio. And coming up, I've got Scott Jordan. He's going to help us do some portfolio construction. (laughs) That sounds like a project. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
0: This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation.
1: Good afternoon, or good morning. Boy, I tell you what, I just got up. I don't know, what can I say? It's been a long morning. Good morning. (laughs) Welcome to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You know, we're talking with Drew Johnson, and coming up, Scott Jordan's going to help us to put together a portfolio. But Drew, you mentioned yield, and I said I wanted to really help people understand yield. It's a term that seems sometimes to become a, a kind of a confused mindset. It's a thought process. Because yield can change, And it kind of moves and people think, well, okay, what happens there? So the point being is, help me understand so that everybody can say, I understand interest payments, I understand yield. And tell us what you would say is the definition of yield.
2: Well, I mean, it gets to be confusing because we we use the term yield in a number of of different ways. I mean, there are so many different ways of talking about the income that a bond produces. And when most people are are thinking about yield, they're thinking about the the actual dollars they're getting from the bond. And they say, well, you may, it's a 6% yield, so I'm getting $60 a year. And that, well, that doesn't change. What do you mean my, my yield changes? And and what we're talking, what we in the industry are typically thinking of when we're talking about yield is not the the dollar amount of of, of, the, of what the bond is paying, uh, but rather that dollar amount as a percentage of what the current price of the bond is. And bonds go in and out of demand, and as those bonds price as those bond prices change, uh, the current yield, not what the bond is paying, but the actual percentage. Of, of the price that that yield represents can go up or down and that's the risk that you have if you have a bond if you get a bond that's paying six percent and then somewhere down the line they're issuing bonds that are paying seven well, percent same
1: same company same right, company, same, 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 company, company. That's what same,
2: com- same company everything's the same but now they're offering seven percent well you're not going to charge someone the same amount of money to buy a A bond yielding 6% as you are a bond yielding 7%. And so the bond yielding 6% has got, it's got a drop in price, right? Because you're not getting as much yield as the bond that's now that's paying you 7% a year. And so the bond prices can change. And so that's what we mean when we say yields change. Not that the dollar amount that the bond's paying you changes, but that the percentage of that uh, income as uh, of the price can change over time.
1: I think you've done a good job with that. Should people be concerned about yield when it changes i mean you very descriptively said if i'm a company i offer you a bond at 6% scott comes in later on and I offer him one paying 7% your bond has to change to make it equal
2: I mean, it's it's definitely something that you have to be aware of. I mean, people, if they buy into a bond portfolio, they may come into it with the misconception that they're not going to see their their account values fluctuate, and they are. Uh, bond yields change all the time. Um, I don't know that concern is maybe the right word that I would put to that, but I think it's just something that you have to be aware of. Um, the important thing is that you have a professionally managed portfolio that's ultimately keeping up with the end game, making sure that these companies are going to be able to continue to make the payments that they promised to make and that they're going to receive that principal back at the end of the term. Well
1: said. I think all things being equal, if interest rates overall are going up, I think a bond investor should would naturally want a higher yielding bond over a lower yielding one, bottom line. Certainly. And that's uh, that's just a fact. So, all right. Do a summary for me because I, I think you've given us some uh, good insight. Bonds, talk about it. Are they risky?
2: They do. They do have some elements of risk. I mean, you've always got the risk of uh, the uncertainty in, in companies planning for future revenue, which is where the bond income is ultimately coming from. It's from companies making money, right. selling what they're doing. Um, they don't always protect investors from a loss of principal because companies can go bankrupt. Um, they can become chronically unprofitable because their, their products and services simply go out of demand. Um, and they don't always uh, protect investors from the loss of future income. Um, and that's because even, even if you have a, a, a great credit-rated company who, whose products and services stay in demand through the whole period, there's nothing wrong with this company. The th- fact of the matter is that bond still has a limited term at some point, you know for a fact – those interest payments are going to come to an end. So even the very best bond has that built-in risk of the loss of income.
1: Well, that's a great explanation. So I hope we've helped you understand some misconceptions about bond investing. If you've got additional questions for Drew, just give him a call at 757-5757. It's a bottom line is it's a part of your portfolio. In most cases, and, Scott, welcome to the program.
3: Great to be here, Jim.
1: Scott, you talk about this a lot, and we, we do this sometimes on the program where we help people understand, especially when it comes to their 401K, but even if they're trying to build a college education fund. And Drew has done an excellent job of helping us understand there is risk in a bond. Sure. And yep. we talk about risk kind of being risk on, risk off. And in reality is we want bonds to perform like bonds. And we want stocks to perform like stocks. But here's my issue. How, much, how do I put together a portfolio if I'm not a risk taker? In other words, I am conservative, uh, but I'm not so conservative that I should have 100% bonds. Talk up to me about putting together a portfolio that I can live with. Well, Jim, when you think about
3: a portfolio of investments, you, you start going, okay, what does that even mean? You know, investments are really something that we're, we're purchasing whether that be a stock or a bond, maybe some real estate or commodities thrown into the investment portfolio. But we're purchasing these either to provide a current income like like Drew just described how bonds do. Uh, also, dividend paying stocks would fall in that category. Or we're buying something that we hopefully can sell at a higher price at a later later date. So. We're essentially buying future cash flows for those future needs that we may have. You mentioned college education, financial independence, you know, whether you're trying to pay down debt or maybe you have some charitable goals. Whatever those goals are we're trying to accomplish, we're investing in these assets in order to try to be able to either get current income on on them or sell them at a higher price in the future to meet those goals. And so those, those assets have different risk and reward characteristics. So, As Drew mentioned, you know, when you talk about really safe, like, government bonds, those have different risk characteristics than, than say, stocks, equities, or maybe real estate. And by combining those assets together – you can design a portfolio that has a high probability of hitting the rate of return you need while also hope, hopefully lowering some of that risk or volatility.
1: Okay, I understand that, lowering risk and volatility but getting the job done. So when we do this, this is something that I think so many people, they have to do it themselves. We guide them through that a lot. But before you dev- design an investment strategy for someone, where you're putting together the the portfolio, I know you have to do the the client, you, all of us have to come together. And when we were choosing a portfolio, there's some things you have to do. Guide us through some of those ideas of what we're talking about. I mean, conversations around, you know, what's important. I know that's important that we do.
3: This is a critical step, I think, to to a, being a successful investor is, is we always talk about a long-term perspective. And. And what we mean by that is really really getting clear about that why. Why are we doing this? You know, we're going to have a conversation with our clients about their goals, their dreams, what they're trying to accomplish. Uh then we help them get organized and say, "Okay, here's where you're trying to go. You know, let's look at where you are now and what it takes to get to where you're trying to go." That's the financial planning we do, and I think that's a critical piece because you can you can quantify some of those goals. You can put some numbers around that and start to, to make some assumptions and make some forecasting to look at, okay, what does it take to hit that goal and what type of a portfolio do I need or what type, type of a rate of return am I trying to accomplish in order to hit those long-term goals? Now, that's important to do in the beginning so that You can stay steady and stay with the program when times get tough because we're going to go through, you know, life storms happen. We're going to go through those. And having that long-term perspective, having those goals clearly defined, having that long-term investment strategy built around those goals can help you weather those storms.
1: So when you talk about this, you're talking about a conversation about defining your goal. I think that is so critical and so important. You mentioned organizing. I want to talk more about that when we come back here in a few minutes. But the reality is, so many people get involved and start investing because they heard it down down the street, their next door neighbor, their cousin, and it's not. You got to have the plan. So a strategy. To help someone mitigate the risk is critical, and that's something knowing their risk tolerance. So I call it the sleep factor. Can yes. I get up? And, do I get up at two o'clock in the morning? Worry about my portfolio? Am I concerned about that? Achieving goals. Understand what you're trying to get done. Holding people accountable. That's so important. And managing the emotions. I want to talk about that when we come back because I think so many people start and they stop and start and stop and start because the emotions. And I, by the way, when we come back, I will talk about gold and see, you know, what should we have in our portfolio? <laughs> I can't wait. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. We'll be back in just a minute.
0: Performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and, when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. The P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index.
1: Well, welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. My guests are Scott Jordan and Drew Johnson. We're talking about portfolio construction. It's kind of putting your 401k together, understanding there's a lot of stuff going on. The market has been Running hard. Some people are predicting that we're going to have a correction. Okay, that's fine. Emotions get involved in it. And what what Scott shared with us, and I think so critical that we have to have a conversation with with the person. I mean, when you start investing, you've got to have an inward conversation inside your head. What are you trying to do? I mean, is this college education money? Is this retirement money? What is your objective? So many times we get started investing and we really haven't spent the time defining that goal. What is it that you really? The, the, Scott calls it so effectively the why, and then organizing, putting together your ideas, and putting it down in writing. Look at what you, you know the financial reality of where you are. And then, of course, create a strategy to mitigate risk, understanding your risk. What's your sleep factor? So many people get caught up in what's going on with the emotions and all the things and the risk involved, and you stop doing what you set your goal six, eight, nine, ten months ago, a year ago, five years ago, whatever, and that's the problem with the the retail investor. We allow things to stop us and start us and stop us and start us. And that's why portfolio construction is extremely important. Now, Scott, you mentioned earlier there's some things about risk tolerance, that that willingness to take risk. But there's numerous types of risk that people need to consider when they start investing. Start with those. Tell us about it. That's absolutely
3: true, Jim. You know, we all are familiar with market risk. You know, we're going to see market ups and downs during our investment career. You know, if we're investing in bonds, there's going to be inflation risk and interest rate risk. Those are kind of tied together. Uh, There's credit risk. Uh, Drew kind of mentioned that a company that you bought a bond from can, can get lowered in credit rating or go bankrupt. So there's always credit risk and then you know, when you look at globally, you start looking at things like currency risk, uh, geopolitical risk, political risk. We've seen a lot of that in recent years. So there's a lot of different types of risk that you have to consider when you're designing that portfolio. But there's also, and I think this is one that you can't overlook, the risk of not achieving your goals. In other words, I'm a conservative investor. I'm too conservative. I'm not taking on enough risk to give me the type of returns I need to hit those long-term goals I'm trying to accomplish. And sometimes people get Kind of frozen into that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, we saw a lot of that after the 07-08 you know, crisis. People did not understand that they had to get back into what they normally... What was their strategy? Did right. the strategy change? Right. But if it didn't change, go back to what you're doing. Let me ask you this. I know we talk about stocks, bonds, and cash. Asset allocation. We deal with that every time that we're... You know, that's so important. But what is the reality when you think about asset allocation... Then you talk about diversification.
3: Yeah, well, you know, when you when you start, we spend a lot of time with our clients kind of diving into that tolerance for risk. And, and one of the biggest decisions once we decide that is our asset allocation decision. You know, how much we're going to have in stocks, how much we're going to have in bonds. You know, we're going to add some real estate and commodities in there. What is that asset allocation? What is our asset allocation? And what does that allocation need to be in order to give us a high probability of hitting that goals? And, and really what you're trying to do there is optimize the return for a given level of risk, right? We, we're factoring in all those different risks we just talked about, and we're trying to optimize that return for that given level of risk.
2: Yeah, and we spend a lot of time doing that, and it's, it's not just about looking at stocks versus bonds or, or how much cash. It's also about yeah how much of your uh, of your geographic exposure needs to be outside the united states how 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 much do you need to take in in low credit risk uh there is a there is a place for that how much do you need to have in in commodities. How much do you need to have in emerging market economies? All of that plays a role in it.
1: Drew, I know you do a lot of quantitative and qualitative analysis. You do, you spend an enormous amount of time looking at our portfolios. But when you talk about management experience in the portfolio manager, what are you looking for? Is there a timeline that says, Anything less than this that you don't feel comfortable with and needs to be doing this or a team? What's, what's your thoughts on that?
2: Oh, I mean, we're, we're looking for you know, at least three to five years experience. We're looking for consistency of returns. We're looking at how those managers have performed within their peer group. We're looking at how well they've performed versus uh, their index. We look at uh, the overall expenses of the fund. Uh, we also want to make sure that we understand uh, the fund strategy, for example. I mean, there, there's an old adage, never invest in something you don't understand. And that applies as much to us as it does to anyone else. We want to make sure that we understand the thought process behind how these managers are going about picking the investments that they're, that they're investing in.
1: So asset allocation is important, knowing and understanding that stocks, bonds, and cash – diversification, having the quantitative and qualitative analysis done, putting together the portfolio based on risk tolerance, and then rebalance. I know that's critical. Everybody has to understand that rebalancing is something you must do, we say, on an annual basis.
3: I absolutely agree with that. I think that gets overlooked a lot. I see that especially in 401k plans where people pick their investments and they never go back and rebalance them. That's a critical step. You know, We like to say to do it at least annually, sometimes more often, but Putting that asset allocation and that diversification back to that original mix is critical for that long-term success. That's a good
1: time to do that in the summer. So, you know, make it happen ever June the 1st or something like that. Sure. So that's a yeah. good point. All right, guys. Now, I want to ask you, you know, Drew, because I think, well, both of you. I'll just start with you, Scott, and then Drew, both of you. I think we see investment behavior is difficult to manage. It
3: absolutely is. You know, we say this all the time emotions are the enemy of any good long term investment strategy. It's hard not to get caught up in those emotions. Uh, I think it was Peter Lynch who said, whatever method you use to pick stocks, mutual funds, bonds, your ultimate success or failure is going to depend on your ability to ignore the worries of the world long enough to allow your investments to succeed. And I think that is. Excellent advice, and it's it's very difficult to do. You know, the media, which we talk about all the time on the show, has become more and more prominent in our lives. We're carrying phones around with us that give us updates constantly. It's hard not to get caught up in those emotions. It's
1: extremely hard.
2: Oh, it, I mean, ha- having a, having all that knowledge at your fingertips makes it that much easier to make mistakes that much faster is, is what that amounts to. I agree. Uh, getting caught up in, in the herd mentality. Yeah. Uh, And and that's and that that's where that emotion comes in, and you know, causing you to become your own worst enemy of your own long-term success.
1: Very well said. Now, managing emotion, sticking with your strategy, you know, it's kind of like this is what I'm trying to do. This is my objective. I'm going to stay with it. This is why I chose the portfolio of stocks, bonds, and cash. Whatever that mix is, you did some research. You know what it is. Don't try to time the market because that's the biggest issue we have. But What about some of the problems that the average investor faces, and what do they do with it?
3: Well, I think, you know, first of all, I would say, you know, we talked about the emotions. We talk about it's hard to stick with that strategy. That's easy to say, uh, you know, but, again, if your goals haven't changed, you know, your long-term investment strategy shouldn't change. Stick with that strategy. Um, But it's hard to do alone. I think, you know, this may be a little self-serving, but I think having somebody on your team, That can keep you level-headed when times get stressful is critical to helping you stick with that long-term strategy, not get caught up in those emotions, and stay with your investment policy and investment strategy long enough to accomplish those goals.
1: I think you said that well because the bottom line is it's helping someone, talking them off the cliff because we do have holding their hand during that period of time. We're professionals. We do it a lot, and yet when that person gets caught up in the emotions, it's very difficult. There's going to be a correction. Period. You're going to live through it. I just don't know when. Right. And there's going to be a bear market. Period. I just don't know. Corrections, 10%. A bear market's 20% loss. Uh, You know, the bear markets, they tell us about once every six years. And so, you know, we just have to understand that. That's going to be a part of your portfolio, but you don't jump. You don't change your strategy. You don't try to time the market. And that is, as you said, I think, you know, Scott, you said so well, it's difficult. It's it just difficult, it's difficult to difficult. do in getting help. Don't try to do it alone. Let me ask you the question. It's on everybody's mind. Buying gold. You know, the idea behind. And I know we talk about buying gold. We talk about having it in a portfolio, but just a small amount and usually not being gold bars or gold coins, something you're having to store, but something that is invested by someone buying Stocks and gold, and gold mining, or something.
3: Uh, we tend to see an uptick in advertising and and talk about gold during times of fear when fear gets heightened, and that's that's kind of going back to one of those emotional decisions. You start seeing an ad that the market's going to fall apart, the world the world's going to fall apart. You better put your money in gold. Uh, as you mentioned, gold can be a part of any good portfolio. There can be a portion of your portfolio that's that's dedicated to gold. We even have some managers that we use that'll park some assets in gold from time to time. But long term, you know, um, you know, stocks and and long term bonds have tended to outperform gold. There have been period where gold periods where gold has done done well. But I think that you know having it part of a strategy is okay, but But making a fearful, emotional decision to to move out of some of the other assets and stick a bunch of money in gold, I've seen that do people a lot of harm over my years.
1: Wow, great, well said. If you just tuned in, we've been talking with Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan. We're talking about portfolio construction. If you'd like to talk to these guys, 757-5757. When we come back, we're going to find out, is your home insured for the correct amount? Believe it or not, a lot has changed. You don't want to miss this. Dane Williams, he'll be with us when we come back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money you're listening to, and we're glad to have you with us today. Thanks so much, for being a part of the program. Dane Williams is with us. And Dane, I want to ask you, just welcome to the program first. Thank you for having me, sir. I want to ask you, because there's been so much with the pandemic. There was additions. I mean, you talk to people, they're doing additions. You can find the contractor. He says, yes, I can get you in 2027. You know, they're so busy remodeling. The kitchen's remodeled, the downstairs playrooms. All of this is going on. Here's my question. I think Mid-South, Mid-Southerners, Need to ask the question, is their home insured for the correct amount today? Because if they've done the remodeling or if they've done some, you know, additions or if if they just lived in their home, the price of lumber has gone up. So is it the worth that we, have they got it insured correctly? I, I would say the vast majority of people
4: probably not. Unfortunately, uh, with the the cost of lumber just skyrocketing, uh, I saw a stat uh, earlier where uh, in just twenty twenty one the price of lumber has gone up sixty seven percent over the last year. It's like three hundred and forty percent that lumber has gone up.
1: Three hundred and forty percent. Yeah, I uh, I have to admit that I went into a particular place here to buy some lumber. And uh, I thought I was going to get into an argument with someone. I, I didn't. I just said, okay, you know, because I walked up to this big bundle. I mean, it was a huge bundle. And it was two-by-fours. And I just needed four. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I got my four, and I started walking out. And the guy grasped my shoulder. And he said, that's my bundle. Yeah. And I went, I'm sorry? And it really, it was. He, he was saying, no, I bought the bundle. And I'm going, okay, yes, sir. I'm sorry. I didn't know it was your bundle. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? So there was this. This, this need for lumber. Yeah, well, and on top of that, we've had an increase in
4: new home construction. That's up about 37% nationwide. Um, we've had everyone that's been doing all kinds of DIY projects and whatnot. So that has caused just there be, to be a scarcity within the market of lumber. Mm. We've also had a scarcity in labor with the pandemic that's gone on with people that are either not working or people just, there's been a shortage of laborers even before the pandemic. So we've got tons of things that are really driving up the price there. And if someone does have a total loss and your house burns to the ground, um, I, I think the vast majority of people are probably underinsured for what it would take to rebuild their home because maybe they're basing that off of the market price, what they could sell their home for, which is also high right now. But the rebuild costs have just really gone through the roof.
1: Now, Dane Williams is in with Shoemaker Insurance. He's a property and casualty agent and does a great job. Now, I know you have to deal with a lot of insurance companies and how, do, how Dane, do they decide the amount that a home should be insured for? I mean, uh, do they automatically increase it? Is that just everybody said, okay, it's going up in Memphis and Shelby County 12%, so we're just going to automatically it? Or, or do you have to – do you, who initiates the call, I guess, is who I'm talking about?
4: A lot of times it's best if uh, the insured, if the client is going to, hey, reach out to my insurance agent and say, tell me, am I insured for enough? Can we do another replacement cost estimator? Because that is a step that we go through every time before we quote a policy is we're going to figure out – what the insurance carriers say that the home is going to take to be rebuilt. And in our time of doing this, I have never seen a wider spread when we look across all of our carriers, because we shop you out to multiple carriers, and we can put in the exact same facts, figures, the exact same finishes, square footage, everything about a house, into all of our carriers, and I have never seen a wider spread between what some carriers will say it costs to rebuild and others, because honestly, there's so much volatility in the market right now with labor and materials that they're all kind of guessing.
1: All right, I'm going to ask you this question tough question i my house burns down mm-hmm. and I didn't call my agent mm-hmm. um it was done. my replacement cost estimator was completed in twenty nineteen
4: yeah. It, you could be in a tough spot. Um, it, it's something where most policies, they have some sort of extended replacement cost uh, provision on there to where in the event that we were wrong in our estimate, we have some sort of percentage on top of what we're insuring the home for to build a home of like kind and quality. Not all policies do. Uh, a couple of week that I see come across my desk don't have that at all. You only have coverage for what is on the policy. But oftentimes there's 25% or 50% of that dwelling coverage that is available to you. But if you're someone that maybe hasn't updated your replacement cost in 5, 10 years because you just set the policy, you were happy with it, and you never really touched it since then, you can really be in a tough spot.
1: Do you find people do that? I mean, I to me, I mean, sometimes I, I talk to people, that's, I ask them, I said, you know, when we do an analysis, we're going through a financial plan. We're saying, you know, let's look at all your risks, you know, and the risk being your, your – and a lot of people, it's their number one asset. I mean, sure. their home is their number one asset. And I say, have you evaluated the insurance that you have on your home? And I get a starry-eyed look, like, what? Uh, yeah, Have you gone back and looked at it in the last – do you find a lot of people just forget about it? It's the policy. They got it. They're in the premiums. They put it in the – trust or drawer someplace and they don't think about
4: it. Oh, absolutely. And the thing we run into uh, most that's scary is that you've got people that are served well in the sales process by an agent and they enjoyed it and they trust them. And because of that, they're not a pain for the agent. And therefore, they can just sit it and forget it because, oh, I trust him. He's going to take care of me. And they get 10 years into it and maybe that agent hasn't stayed on top of things uh, and, and that loyalty of staying with that company for a long time without being shopped out by a broker that's really on top of things, that can really do you a disservice.
1: You said broker. Now, broker does. What's the difference between an agent for a company and a broker?
4: Yeah. So uh, a broker represents several different insurance carriers. Um, someone that is a, a captive independent insurance or a captive uh, insurance agent, they work for one specific company and they have that one product to sell. Um, we are can they not
1: shop it out? Do they?
4: No, typically they're, they're going to represent that company. They are employed by you a know, uh, big national brand, and that too, who, who pays their check.
1: All right, I see a lot of commercials. Sure. A lot of commercials. <laughs> a a lot, lot of commercials. We're good, We're good at that. Yeah. Uh, so if I'm getting this commercial that's got a uh, an ostrich or I get a guy that's on the <laughs> – I can see – I'm not going to say <laughs> that. You know, I can see the – uh, Statue of Liberty in the back. I mean, those are. That's a captive. Is what you're saying. That is, if I want that insurance, it could be great insurance. I'm not knocking it. That's what I'm going to buy from that agent. Yeah. A broker is going to shop multiple getting me getting me the best coverage and the best cost
4: correct yeah so for us uh, you know we've got a whole handful of carriers that we represent in all the states that we write in so uh, while there may be one company out there that's got just they're incredibly underpriced right now generally speaking we're going to have a good feel for what the market says you should be paying and we're going to get the product that offers the coverage that you need at a price that makes sense when you're working with a good insurance broker.
1: All right, we were talking about this volatility in the price, the fact that homes have gone up and, you know, the cost. How well has insurance companies kept up with this volatility in the price of labor? building materials all that I mean do you see that they, they've stayed with it and they've done great or would you give them a less than a C grade yeah
4: I would say they've not done great um, just because ideally the situation we're in is a temporary thing right uh, and the labor and material prices do stable out soon um, but as we're kind of working through that insurance companies are hesitant to to make some of those changes because it is going to result in a higher premium and uh, when they do that, it's not crazy to imagine that there could be policies walking out the door to someone else cheaper at that point. So if it's just going to be a temporary thing, uh, oftentimes they have not uh, made the dramatic uh, impact that is a change rather, that is going to impact their, their premium prices.
1: You know, I've heard people say a lot of times, I had a terrible experience when my house burned or... Uh, You had wind damage or something And then I've had people that say Oh, man, they handled it like like a champ." I mean, it was great Uh, I have actually had a building to burn And we had to go through some things But, you know, it's I mean, it, it is kind of according to Who you work with And how you go through that process How does an insurance company Calculate it's the payout of a total loss. Uh, or, you know, I mean, give us an example of how that structurally happens.
4: Yeah. So there's an insurance adjuster involved that's going to come out and take a look at the damage. And that's and not your agent, right? Correct. It's going to be someone that specially works in that area, and uh, they are going to come up with a scope of loss. This is all of the things that are damaged. This is what the market says it's going to take to repair and replace it. They develop that. And from there, they kind of spit it out. There's industry standard software that they all kind of use. So uh, they're going to really map out your house, map out the damaged area and spit out the numbers that are regionally specific. They all kind of use the same stuff there. All right. So I get that done. Does the agent stay with me through the process or does the adjuster? So the adjuster is the one that is writing the checks through it. Uh, For our clients, one of the things we do is, please let me know if something's not going well. If you need me to translate something for you, please uh, let me be as involved as you'd like. I've got a background in working claims prior to starting at Shoemaker, so it's something where we are able to add value there. But more times than not, the agents are not involved in claims.
1: All right, last question. What kind of protection is in place for homeowners that are worried that because of all this going on, what happens if a disaster strikes?
4: So there, there are some places that do, some companies that have that extended dwelling coverage, uh, but if for some reason they're
1: not insured high enough, you can be in a tough spot. Tough spot, meaning you got to deal with it. Yeah,
4: you're going to have to build a lesser house.
1: All right, that makes sense. You've been listening to KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9, and AM 990. I want to thank my guests, Drew Johnson, Scott Jordan, and Dane Williams. They've been here. there from Shoemaker Financial. If you'd like to talk with either one of these guys, 757-5757. My guest next week, David Rochester. We're going to take charge of that 401K you've been worried about. Steve Anderson is going to talk about common investing misconceptions. You don't want to miss that part. That's Wednesday at 9 a.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on KWM, The Mighty 990. If you have questions, send them to talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com. Thank you so much for listening. We're here every week helping you make the most
0: of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is just talk money. Jim Shoemaker, Drew Johnson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor.